welcome here. It's great to have you here this morning. Uh, my name is Luke, and I get to serve as the pastor here. It's good to have you here on this 4th of July weekend. Um, you're here, so I trust the 4th of July was safe for you. Um, I don't, maybe if you're not here, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, so anyways, uh, just a couple announcements, and then we'll continue on with the, with the service. Uh, first of all, um, governing board nominations are due today. And uh, so if there's someone that you think would be a, a good candidate to serve on the, the governing board, then uh, there's some, uh, you know, write that out. And then there's a box in the hallway where you can drop it off or, or put it in John Quirion's mailbox. Or you could probably even give it to John Quirion himself. I, that might be acceptable. So um, also, next week, we're not, we're not meeting here, okay? This, this may feel like a trend, but it's, this is... Uh, next week, we're doing a combined community service with the other churches in the park uh, in, in downtown, the, the park over kind of by the co-op. We did this last year. If you were here last year, then you remember that and kind of what a fun, festive time it was. Um, so we're doing it again. All three churches are participating. And um, yeah, we're gonna, and it's also meeting at 10 a.m., okay? So uh, just remember to bring that. Maybe bring a lawn chair, and uh, we'll, we'll be meeting over there. The, we will be doing an offering next Sunday, but that offering is going to go to the ministerial fund, which is uh, kind of a combined fund for benevolent needs in the community, kind of outside our immediate church. So if you want to give next week, that's fantastic. Write your checks out to the ministerial fund, not MB Church. We're, uh, you know, n- none of the funds are going to come our way. Um, also, I'm pretty excited about this. So, uh, VBS is coming up on July 13th, okay? So, that's a week from Monday. But, because we are doing community church service next Sunday, basically what that means is that next time we gather in here, VBS will have already happened and, and be over with. So, yeah, I kind of had an aha moment. Uh, or is it, oh my, that's just right around the corner. So, VBS is on the 13th. We're very excited about that. I'm very excited about that. It, it has a kind of a mountain climbing thing, uh, which basically means I get to rappel out of the bell tower. I'm pretty pumped about that. Um, City Hall turned down my offer for the water tower, but whatever. Um, something about insurance. And uh, maybe next year. Um, I, what was I going to say? Because I wasn't going to say that. Uh, So anyways, uh, in your bulletin, you can see a list of the volunteers. There's actually more volunteers that didn't get listed. There's over 50 volunteers that are helping out with VBS. Uh, registration is still available at the back. Registration is available online. Uh, we do need help in a couple of different ways. We need just some muscle to move some stuff around. Talk to Dot Queering. We, we need to move some couches and that kind of thing. And also on July 8th, there is a VBS leader kind of orientation and appreciation dinner. And so if you're involved in any way with VBS, we are really strongly welcoming you to, to come and be involved with that. Talk to Joanne, my wife, Joanne Heidley, about that. Uh, it's going to be from 6 to 8 p.m. here at the church. And uh, one, it's just a great time to express some thanks, but there's also you know going to do kind of an overview, uh, some brief stuff on the child protection policy, uh, meet with group leaders, so there's kind of some logistical planning with it involved as well, too. Um, I think that covers all my notes. Yeah. 
Anything else? All right. Let me pray, and we'll carry on with the service. Heavenly Father, thank you for a good day to gather, to worship, to honor your name, to glorify you, uh, to do some last-minute stuff in preparation for Vacation Bible School. Lord, thank you so much just for, for the opportunity to gather here. May this be uh, an honoring and glorifying time to you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, yes, church family. Uh, we have been celebrating the 4th of July this weekend. I know many of you have been out maybe late last night. We've been celebrating our country's birthday. We've been celebrating our freedoms, the privileges that we have. And we don't know for how much longer we're going to have those freedoms and privileges. But this morning, um, I was going to sing a song. I was turned to Urban Berlin. He wrote the song, God Bless America, back in 1918. And he wrote it as his own prayer. So this morning, I'd like us to sing it as a prayer, asking God to bless our country, to uh, bless our country and to keep us safe. And so would you stand and join us?
for our prayer time this morning, we want to pray over and dedicate our, our, our VBS volunteers and workers. So if you are involved in VBS in any capacity, I need you to gather right here on the floor, and then the rest of us, which will be like visitors and a quarter of our congregation, uh, are going to pray for you guys. So VBS people, I know it's awkward, down here front and center. So I've, I've been kind of wondering kind of the, the, the best way to do this. And, um, you know, one way to do it is it just that I do the praying, but that can maybe be a little bit lame at times. And um, so we're going we're gonna to do this Thai style. I don't know if you guys remember it uh, from when we did this a, a while back. Uh, in Thailand and also in other parts of the world, how they pray is just a little bit different than how we do it. Uh, we're kind of very individualized, quiet, pious, don't listen to me, I don't listen to you, kind of mind your own business kind of style of prayer. How they do it is that everyone stands up and they all pray together out loud at once, okay? And so that's what we're going to do. Now, there, there's really just one trick that makes this work, okay? This whole thing is really going to hinge on one thing, and that is that you just got to pray louder than the person next to you, Okay? So I've just violated your North American tendencies about nine different ways, um, but, but we're going to do this. So what we're going to do is if you would please stand, and, uh, and Brad, I'm, I'm going to mute my own so I can just kind of pray along, and then at the end I'll, I'll turn it back on so you don't have to do anything back there. Um, but when I say go, you guys just start praying out for all of our VBS workers, for the VBS program, just kind of however you want to, and when kind of the volume subsides uh, a little bit, then I'll just turn my mic back on and close this off, and we can be done with the awkwardness, okay? All right, let's go. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this group of volunteers. Thank you so much for the volunteers uh, who are not here but are still going to be helping out, Lord. God, we pray that by your spirit that these volunteers would just have a supernatural love uh, and patience for these kids and wisdom as, as they interact with them. And Lord, we pray uh, for even more kids to continue to, to sign up. And, uh, and just to be, thank you for the opportunity to be in a place of influence and, uh, and a place to show love as you love us, Lord, to the, to the youth here in our, in our community. So thank you so much for these volunteers. Ask your blessing and your protection upon them. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Ushers. You're up.
Well, before we uh, carry on with the service, uh, Rod Jolson is in town, and uh, Rod grew up in this church and is involved in ministry in Wyoming, and so just ask if he would give us a little bit of update on, on what's going on with him and his life and his ministry. So, all yours. Thank you, Luke. Uh, some of you may be new to the community and you don't maybe know who I am. We moved here in 1964 when I was five years old. <laughs> Dean and Loretta are my parents, and so this has been a very vital piece of my upbringing and uh, everything and so in a, but the mid 80s God called us to go into ministry so we made a drastic change of farming and going into the ministry moved to uh, get further education uh, and got that finished up and ironically uh, when it was done put my resume out there and I got a job at Hillsboro Mennonite Brethren Church because where our family all comes from so I was there for 18 years 
And in 06, uh, kind of led, God led us into a different element of ministry. We moved to Salt Lake City and worked with the Mennonite Brethren churches out there in planting and working with the, the local culture there, which is Mormonism, and spent seven good years there working with church planting. In, uh, let's see, I think it was the winter of 13, um, all of a sudden we got a call from a cousin of mine, Corey Jost, who's a third cousin, and he's a surgeon, and he's up in Sheridan, Wyoming. And he said, our church is looking to hire a full-time pastor, and uh, it was a church plant of 10 years old, and they'd really grown. They'd grown from just about four couples to about 200 people on a Sunday morning. And Sheridan is way north in the central part of Wyoming, and, and uh, we didn't know much about that. And so they kept bugging us, and Phil Plett is up there. It's Corey's uh father-in-law, and, and he used to be a pastor in Olathe, Kansas, and throughout the conference and everything, and so they kept kind of wooing us into it, and we were wondering, well, what is God leading us into? We were really enjoying ministry in Salt Lake. That wasn't an issue, and we appreciate a lot of you supported us in that ministry to do that. Jason Fleuring uh, was up there and came back home, and now he's out there, and about the same time Jason moved out there, we moved, ended up moving to Sheridan, Wyoming to, to do ministry there. Uh, it's been a, a very good fit. Uh, Sheridan is a town of about uh, 18,000. The community itself, the county, is about 30,000. Uh, we kept, the only experience we had with Wyoming was I-80, you know, and, and 80 mile an hour winds on I-80, you know, most of the time. And so we were a little apprehensive. And about three days before we came down there to visit, Corey said, I forgot to tell you, there's one thing, there's no wind here like there is in Rollins or in Kansas. And we said, okay, we'll come visit. That'll be good. So uh, it's ended up being a very good fit for us. Uh, it's a congregation that has grown and, and, and has need of somebody that's got maybe a little bit more experience in church. Uh, the pastor that has brought it up, he's a, a lay person. He works uh, as an occupational therapist in the community. He does a great job and getting things going, but he's full-time in that and works part-time at the church. So for me, my responsibilities are I share the preaching, I uh, work with a lot of the day-to-day -day things. And one of the things you can really pray for us there is Sheridan is an interesting community. It's got, uh, uh, on one side, it's got a lot of wealth, and, uh, and uh, it's got polo. And so that tells you a little bit about the community. Polo came over from uh, out in Europe and everything like that. It's got the number two polo field in the world, and it's a beautiful thing to watch, a lot of fun. So you got a lot of this kind of culture that is over here. And then on the other hand, it's got about four or five agencies that help people through their issues and their addictions. So we get a lot of people that come in that have heroin, different drug addictions and all that, alcohol. They get their therapy, and they end up usually finishing up, and they go, we like this community, we want to stick around. And so you have a lot of relapses and everything. So in our church, right now we're about up to 300 people on a Sunday morning. We have lots of kids. We have about 110 little kids. So it's a lot of families, a lot of families in their 30s and young 40s and all that. But on the back side, we have a real ministry to fringe people in the community. So uh, a lot of my work is, is kind of picking up some of the pieces with these people and meeting with them and trying to help them through. And they're going through some really tough stuff. So on, on one side of the community, it looks very, very healthy. On the other side of the community, it's a community that helps people 
and there's a lot of lot of detail and a lot of issues that people have to get through and kind of wade through. So those are kind of some things you can pray for us in that regard. We have about, uh, I think, probably a, over a dozen MBs that are in our church. We're a non-denominational church, but uh, we've got uh, some Josts and some uh, Fletts and some others in there that are a part of that. So there's a little bit of representation and, and that sort of thing. But uh, we've really enjoyed the two years that we've been there now, and I know that some of you have wondered what we're up to and what we're doing. And it's a great place to vacation. So if you're coming through, give us a holler, and we'll try to help you out a little bit and figure out what you want to do. We're between uh, Yellowstone and, um, and Mount Rushmore is about where we're at. We're at the northern, end, uh, northern part of Wyoming right next to the Bighorn Mountains. So anyway, that's a little bit what's going on. Appreciate your prayers for us and just uh, encouragement in that. And, and uh, just thank you for allowing us to be a part of your life over so many years, and we're really enjoying it. Jamie? I don't know if that's enough. That, that works. Yeah. <laughs> Yours. I'm going home. It's always a, a, a kind of a neat treat to uh, just to hear what other churches, what other uh, kind of brothers and sisters are, are, are doing, what's going on around the world, other congregations, that kind of thing. So. Okay. We are in Ephesians 4. Uh, we have been taking our time marching through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is uh, it's a great letter. It, it was written by Paul to the church in, in Ephesus. Uh, it's a very kind of generic letter. Uh, a lot of Paul's letters incorporated some element of, uh, I see you're having this specific problem. Let me speak into that specific problem. Or I have you know friends there. Say hi to my friends. Uh, Ephesus is very kind of general generic. He doesn't include those specific some believe that actually it was intentionally designed where it could be circulated around and read in a variety of different congregations and uh, we've really kind of broken up ephesians into three parts and uh well i mean paul did but it's also kind of how we're looking at it uh first three chapters of ephesians is all about identity and who are you in christ and the theme word out of that was seated what does it mean to be seated in christ and then after that, in Ephesians 4, 5, a little bit of 6, uh, Paul transitions into what does our life look like in the world? How do we walk in the world? How do we interact in the world? And the, the, the theme word for that section is walk. What does it mean to walk? And we see Paul using that word right here in the first few verses of, the, of uh, chapter 4. The last part of Ephesians then is there's some instructions on kind of spiritual warfare stuff, how, how we deal with with the enemy in the spiritual realm and there the the theme word is stand and what does it mean to stand against the enemy and uh, just like i promised every week i talk about sit walk and stand because i want you guys 20 years from now to be able to remember oh yeah ephesians sit walk stand i need some good verses on identity i need some good verses on how to live out in the world i need some verses on how to stand against the enemy and so that that's what we've been doing um, last week we got to hear some really great sharing, and so we ran out of time. And so today we're just going to do a quick review, and then and then kind of finish up uh, this section. And so we're just in the first couple verses of Ephesians. Let me read the the first three verses to you. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Uh, last week we talked about humility. And we talked about humility as not being sort of shy and timid and, and kind of staring at your shoes kind of attitude, but, but rather timidity is being dependent upon God. Scripture calls Moses the most timid man in all the earth, and that's not because he was shy and timid. It's because he was dependent upon the Lord. So humility as dependence upon God. We talked about gentleness being strength under control. See, weakness doesn't require gentleness. Because if you're weak, you're really not in danger of hurting anybody. But strength, uh, power, authority, those kind of things, those require gentleness. And, um, yeah, and so, so gentleness is, is just this understanding that you're uh, in, in how you approach someone, right? And we have, we have different kinds of gentleness kind of depending on who we're interacting with. So gentleness is strength under control. And we also talked about patience. And patience is not high endurance for stuff or for annoying things or for annoying people or that kind of thing. Rather, in Scripture, patience is primarily associated with enduring suffering or reluctance to avenge wrong. So it's kind of an interesting take on, on, on patience. And then uh, last week, but we ran out of time, just begin to share some of, of what I've learned about uh, good team unity over the years. Um, previously was, was in an environment where I worked with over 50 ministry teams uh, and was surrounded by other people who worked with ministry teams. And so team unity was just a big thing that we talked about and researched and hashed out and observed and kind of had to sort through the mess of it and, and all that different kind of stuff. And, um, you know, unity, team unity, which is really kind of the heart of these first three verses, you could do, I mean, there's books upon books written on this thing. You could do seminary courses on this. We're going to cover just kind of some of the highlights in about 20 minutes, all right? So we, we are just going to brush through this, um, but pretty quick. Um, but, but, you know, unity is a, is a remarkable, wonderful thing. Um, years ago, for a while, I worked on, uh, I actually was in grad school working on a master's in cell and molecular biology and did that for a year and a half and learned that, wow, I really hated that. And um, so finished up my coursework and then, and then stepped out of the, the program. Um, but one of the things that I walked away with was just this, I think awe is really the best word of, of it, just awe at the complexity, at the intricacy. At, at, at the detail, at, at, at the mammoth scale of how the human body works, how it is designed. I mean, what happens at that cellular level, at, at, kind, of that, at, at kind of that chemistry cellular level that, that dictates so much? I mean, a, a, a normal operational human being, is, I, the miracles... It, that came about, you know, because of that are remarkable. You know, you, you have one protein, you have one part of the body that, that's not functioning or gets out of control, right? And I, now you have all kinds of diseases. You have autoimmune disease. You, you have cancer. Uh, you know, we read about one very horrible disease where one protein, one protein that you've never heard of and that I can't remember, one protein gets mixed up. But the result of that is that any injury reheals as bone. There's some kind of little programming that, that just gets off. And so any injury, any cut, any scrape, any bruise will reheal as bone. And so it's a horrible disease. These people have a very short life expectancy. But that's, I mean, that's one protein 
not functioning properly. And so the, 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 the chemistry involved, the, the human body, is just this remarkable testament to just thousands upon thousands uh, of things working correctly and, and, and kind of the, the, the way that, that God ordained it. And so Paul is the only author in the New Testament to use the human body as an analogy for the church, and so I really resonate that w- with what he does. Uh, reviewing a few things that we did cover last week. First off, good teams don't have to be best friends. One of the most foundational concepts when it comes to team unity, or one of the most misunderstood concepts, uh, you don't have to be best friends to be great team. Uh, you need to be able to support each other. You need to be able to trust each other. Uh, you need to be able to sacrifice one another and, and work along. But you don't have to be best friends. Uh, secondly, this idea of preferring your teammates above yourself, uh, looking for ways to serve them, encourage them, pray for them, uh, sharing encouraging verses of Scripture with them, even being willing to sacrifice you know, some of your comforts or even some of your rights for the benefit of, of your teammates or for or for your team. Uh, learning the art of submission. Submission has kind of really gotten a bad rap uh, in, in our world. The world has really kind of stolen this world. And the, the world has really est- stolen this word uh, and associated it with evil dictators and bad marriages and odd sexual practices and all kinds of stuff. Uh, submission, as God intended it, as outlined in Scripture, is actually a very good word. Uh, I swim in submission every day. There's so many people and organizations that I need, am supposed to submit to. It's the same for you. So uh, submission, just understanding submission, learning good submission. Uh, we talked about death to someone and the need to kill someone. Uh, and by killing someone, what we mean is, 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 you know, when someone is the messenger of an anonymous complaint, and rather than articulating who is upset or who is hurt or who's just being grouchy, we don't name them, and so we just say someone. And so we think, you know, like, well, someone doesn't like the clothes you wear. You know, someone doesn't like how you lead worship or how you sing. You know, someone doesn't like your Sunday school class. Someone thinks you're ugly. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's anonymous. And because it's anonymous, there's no hope of restoring the relationship, there's no hope of reconciliation. And what's important is to be able to restore, to be able to reconcile. And so to just do away with, um, uh, with this word someone. Uh, a good attitude. Uh, emotion is kind of the raw material we're dealing with, right? Uh, attitude is, is the words you speak, the tone you use, uh, to the extent possible, your facial expressions. Um, Avoiding sarcasm. I have never seen sarcasm benefit a team. Never. In fact, almost every time where it is used, then we have to get into messy team reconciliation stuff because someone's been hurt by the sarcasm. Uh, gripe up, not down. Right? If, if, if you have an issue with something, you take your grievances up the ladder, not down the ladder. If a Sunday school worker is really frustrated with me or someone else, it benefits no one for them to then go to their Sunday school class and to complain about the pastor or the maintenance or the bulletin layout or whatnot, right? Because that Sunday school class is going to mimic your attitude and then spread that around. So if you have an issue or if you're frustrated with someone, you gripe up, not down. 
Uh, we talked about give the credit, take the blame. Especially true for you team leaders. But if you are on a team and everything goes great, and someone's like, oh, you did such a great job, then your response is, well, I'm just part of a great team, and I work with such good people, and I just have this you know, wonderful you know, people who are so sacrificial, and it was just this amazing team effort. But if someone comes up, and they're grouchy, and they're complaining about stuff, and it's, I'm sorry, and it's my bad, and I'll look into that, and I take full responsibility for that, and I, I should have caught that. I, I should have looked over it. Good team leaders give the credit and take the blame. It's very unglamorous. I, I don't understand these people who think leadership is just this power trip that's so awesome. It's a lot of work and very unglamorous. Um, and, you know, you've probably noticed that most of this stuff by now is pretty much just out of any marriage 101 book, right? Um, I mean, a, a, a good, good team is kind of like a good marriage, just but without some of the fun benefits, right? I mean, so... Anything that you read in a marriage book, not anything, most things that you read in a good marriage book, you could probably just turn right around and apply it to the team environment that, that you're on. And so if your team leader says, go read a marriage book because we're dysfunctional, uh, that's probably okay. Okay, some of the uh, stuff that, that we did not get a chance to, to go through. want to keep, keep working on this. Uh, today is very, you probably figured this out, today is very, very practical. Uh, right? You know, the, the motivational talks have their place, uh, but sometimes you just got to get real nitty-gritty on how do we do this practically, functionally, that kind of stuff, right? A lot of sermons are, you know, a lot of theology and then like two minutes of application. You know, we covered our theology like 10 minutes ago. We're all in the application now. So a um, little bit different structure this time. But some more stuff on, on team unity and, and how we do team unity well and what contributes to that. Next one is to be free with your information. Uh, within team, let the information flow. I am not endorsing gossip. That's something totally different. This is not about, you know, the latest news on the family down the street or the latest drama at the Dutch kitchen or I have a prayer request, gossip, 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 okay? This is stuff that's pertaining to what you're doing, the task at hand, that kind of thing within the team. Uh, let information flow. Because the opposite of what happens is that people will regulate the control of information as a form of power, as a form of manipulating things. Okay? You can be very, very manipulative in filtering what information gets passed on to the team. And so the alternative to that is that you, ha you just have to be very open about about letting information flow, okay? Uh, next, empower people to really uh, release them to work in their gifts. Uh, I have been in places where, you know, working with good Christian people, but not working within my gifting, all right? Like sustainable for a short period of time, but really awful. Um, you know, sometime with, sometimes within a team, rather than to say this is the objective, Sometimes the best thing to do is just to sit with your team, look around, and say, you know what? This is who we got. This is how they're gifted. We're going to do this, right? And to build your kind of your vision or your objective around the gifting of your team as compared to just something that you came up with in your closet, okay? Um, so really pay attention and work to release people in, in their area of gifting. Uh, and they will love you for it and serve so much better. Be quick to forgive. 
and be quicker to apologize. This is one of the fastest ways that I have seen that disarms like a potentially volatile situation. Where you walk in a room and it's just already tense. It's, it's, I mean, you're just going into it. You know this is going to be bad. Or there's a phone call that has to happen. And one party apologizes, finds ground to apologize, apo- apologizes right away. It just, it just brings the whole thing down. Just so many levels. It's, it's remarkable. Uh, we had a situation with Trek where, where two people uh, created a, a pretty big grievance against our entire Trek leadership team. Uh, we have a, a system, a, a process, a, or a really a discernment process of kind of figuring out who's on what team. We take it very seriously. It's a very big deal to us. There's uh, kind of a miscommunication. Two people in a different department just walked into the Trek program one day and took an individual and put them on the Trek team. I was lit up mad. Like, in 10 years, that's definitely one of the top three, maybe the top one. Uh, I left a couple voicemails. Fortunately, no one was there to answer the phone. I left voicemails. One guy later was like, you had trouble breathing. Um, (laughs) I walked into the office of the first individual, and they made it very clear that this conversation was not going to progress until I apologized to them for the tone I used. Really? Really? That same day, I walked into the office of the other individual, and right away that person said, I'm so sorry for what happened. I'm so sorry for how we did that. That was wrong on us. You know, we went about that wrong. You know, I apologize. Totally different responses. And I have so much more respect and appreciation for how that second person handled it. And it made it so much easier for me to hear what that person had to say, you know, in, in, as a result of this as, as well, too. Um, you know, some stuff is tricky. You know, we, we, we don't apologize for following Jesus. We don't apologize for Scripture. We, we don't apologize for, for what we believe. So there might be some really odd circumstance where an apology isn't quite the response. But, it, but if there is space for it, uh, to be quick to forgive and to be for, and to be quick to apologize is one of the most disarming things that you can do, just in a in a tense thing. Um, coupled with that, then is knowing how to give a good apology. I don't know if you knew this, but there are bad apologies, and I know I've talked about this before, but some of you probably need to hear it again. All right, but a, a good apology it acknowledges that you did something wrong, it repents for that wrongdoing. And it commits to never doing it again. Right? I'm sorry that I took your candy bar. That was wrong of me. I won't do it again. Okay? You acknowledge that a wrong was committed. You take ownership for it. And you commit to not doing it well. And a good apology always begins with, I'm sorry, I. I'm sorry, I offended you. I'm sorry, I didn't talk to you first. If, if I'm sorry, you is not an apology. I'm sorry you caught me at a bad time. I'm sorry you misunderstood me. I'm sorry you can't handle my awesomeness. Like, any time that you have I'm sorry you, it's not really an apology. So if it's coming out of your mouth, you're faking it. And if it's coming out of their mouth, then, I don't know, you need to figure out game, game plan B. So a good apology always starts with I'm sorry I. Uh, next point on, on team unity. 
uh, there will be times where you will be tempted to go solo and and just don't okay uh, there will be times where you think to yourself you know this would just be a lot easier if i did it on my own you know you feel wounded or you feel that you can't trust anybody uh, in the church or on your team or in your family and so spiritually and emotionally you're going to do it alone because you know you're just you're you're a woman and you're strong like that and and you gotta be strong for the kids or you know you're you're a man and you don't show weakness you don't let them see you bleed so you're just gonna go it alone oh foolish people have you never watched the discovery channel which zebra is the first one to be devoured by ravenous lions right which meerkat is the first one to be hauled off by a hawk and ripped apart by talons and bone-crushing beaks, right? It's always the one that gets separated from the pack. It's always the one that gets separated from the herd. So next time you're tempted to bail on Christian community, you just go binge-watch Animal Planet for 12 hours, and then you repent of your sins and you get back in community, okay? Don't go, don't go solo. It's just, it's not going to work well for you. Secondly, there are always two sides to every story. Um, first of all, what this means is that you need to suspend judgment. You need to suspend decision until you hear the other side of that story. And we have learned to do this with kids, but we have forgotten to do it with adults. Right? Kid comes in crying. So-and-so hurt me. You're like, whoa, calm down. What's, well, what were you doing? You know, other kid, get in here. What's your version of the story? Right? When kids misbehave, we want to hear both sides of the story. But when an adult comes in and they're crying and they're, oh, so-and-so hurt me. And we just get mad. And we're like, to the gallows, you know. There's always two sides to every story. One pastor recalls counseling a, mar- uh, a married couple. Um, kid you not, she comes in and she says, you know, he was upset, he was violent, you know, he threw me against the wall, that kind of thing. Pastor is in a rage, calls up the husband, says, what are you doing? You don't treat your wife like that. That's completely inappropriate. Husband says, yeah, I did that, but she was coming after me with a steak knife. Okay, you know, so it goes back to the wife and she's like, well, yeah, that happened. I was upset. Well, that kind of changes everything, right? Or another situation. You know, you have one spouse who who has an affair. It's never okay. It's never right. A lot of blame goes towards that spouse. But then you do a little research and find out, yeah. But you also find out that the other spouse was verbally abusive, was demeaning, refused to be intimate. And you say, you know what, That, that does not justify the affair. It never will. But you definitely see how both parties contributed to the demise of this marriage relationship. So there's always two sides to every story. Now the second part of this though, and this is a little bit more difficult though, is that if you have been hurt, and you're showing a lot of pain, and you've truly been hurt, two sides to every story means that I can still probably find someone who has a different version than what you're telling me. And so there just kind of has to be this this honest acknowledgement 
that even though you're, you're hurt or something has happened, whatever has happened, your side of the story, I mean maybe, but I'm going to say rarely, your version of the story is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because I bet you I can find a second version. Two sides to every story. Forgiveness. Understanding forgiveness, uh, understanding healing, understanding reconciliation. Uh, these are big words. This is a big topic. Um, one of the most kind of foundational things to, to this, and I, when I first realized this, but just the, the depth to which you have to express forgiveness is a direct correlation to the depth to which you have experienced pain. It is a one-to-one ratio. Small forgiveness, small pain. Deep forgiveness, deep pain. So when you're working with people and you're asking them to do big forgiveness stuff, you got to slow down and say, you know what? Big forgiveness comes from big pain. Uh, my current understanding of forgiveness is this. Maybe it'll change in a year or two. But this is where I'm at currently. Forgiveness is you surrendering your right to execute punishment or judgment. Okay? Forgiveness is not you feeling good about it, and forgiveness is not a relationship restored. We hope for those, but those are two separate things defined by two other words. Sometimes we use forgiveness to cover a lot of things, and it's helpful to just kind of almost compartmentalize it a little bit, right? When you feel good about things, when your heart is made whole, okay, that is healing, and that is different than forgiveness. When the relationship between you and the individual or you and the offender is restored, that's restoration, that's reconciliation, and that too is something else than forgiveness. Forgiveness is different than, than healing and reconciliation. And, but forgiveness must happen before healing and before reconciliation can take place. Forgiveness is very much kind of a, a, a thing between you and God. It is you surrendering your right to execute punishment, to execute judgment. Now, if a courtroom is involved, the court still retains their right to execute judgment and punishment. Romans 13, that is their, that, that is their instruction from God. They are the servants of God to do that. That is their responsibility. So there are times where a court will still do that. But for you personally... You are surrendering your right to God. Best process for me that I have used thus far, I didn't come up with this. I learned it from others uh, at, at a time when I needed to, to forgive. But just very practically, what I did is that on one piece of paper, I wrote out all the crimes. I wrote out all the offenses. I was very detailed. I was very unfiltered. If my heart felt it, then my hand wrote it. Everything went out on that one piece of paper. Then on a second piece of paper, I wrote out the pardon. I wrote out the forgiveness statement. It was very generic. It was very kind of 30,000 level foot, you know, type stuff. I forgive, you know, that kind of thing. Then I signed it and I dated it and I kept it. And that first piece of paper I threw away so that... Two hours from now, two weeks from now, four years from now, when those memories start to come back, I can pull out that, that forgiveness statement, that pardon, and say, you know what? That was forgiven. That's done with. That's over. The 
because I'm not trying to keep a recollection, rec- recollection of wrongs. Okay? That does not benefit me. Right? The offender probably forgot about this like two years ago. They're sleeping well at night. All right? But for me, it's not helpful to rehash that. So I write it all out in detail, and then I discard it. Also, time heals nothing. After forgiveness has happened, it could be that the Holy Spirit may take some time in working about healing and reconciliation in your life. But time by itself heals nothing. It buries it deeper, but it still hurts the same amount. Keep short accounts. This is also a fantastic sign of just good, good teams. Um, Another way to say this is that you don't accumulate offenses over time. Uh, You keep short accounts. Um, And this is another great thing, you know, uh, from marriage that that, that we can can learn from marriage. We don't accumulate a list of uh, offenses. Uh, You know, in a marriage relationship, if an offense happens, you really need to deal with it that day. In this setting, in the church context, I'll give you three days, but even that's probably too much. Because what happens is that the longer you don't deal with it, then you become increasing, you, you feel, or it, it becomes increasingly unlikely that you will, will deal with it because after a month you feel dumb for bringing it up. And so for you, the pain lingers. It just gets buried deeper, but it's still there. So you keep short accounts and you deal with it right away. I have memories of where I have kept long accounts. And stuff has festered. And stuff has bothered me for weeks and months. I have almost no memories of short accounts. Stuff where I dealt with it right away. I, uh, yep, no, can't think of any. You know, normally you like to have an example. Yeah, I got none. I forgot them all. Oh, I know they happen. I was on a ministry team. And uh, one of my teammates, after, ha- after we had worked together for a while said, you know, having seen the other team leaders, now I can say, emphasis mine, now I can say, you're a good team leader. I was like, what? Now? We've been working together for months. Now you can say that I'm, and I didn't say anything about it, but I was just like, I don't think that was a compliment. Just kind of buried it. Um, sort of eventually forgot about it. Year, year and a half goes by. Uh, this vi- individual and I have gone from completely incompatible, not getting along well, becoming very good friends. We're on a jog. Uh, this phrase kind of comes up, ha- has come up kind of the last few days. I'm remembering it. So I asked her about it. I was like, so you remember saying this? And she kind of scolded me. She's like, how long have you been holding on to that? And I was like, since you said it, um, she didn't remember saying it at all. But she said, "You know, here's what I, here's what I think I meant by it." And she kind of explained it, worked it through. I was like, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That works for me. I get that." And vice versa, there were things that I had said to her that I had forgotten about that lingered for a long time that we had to work out after a long, right? But just to to keep short accounts, because the longer you wait, the less likely you are to deal with it. And as, pain, as time goes along, really probably the pain isn't going to go away. It just uh, continues to affect you. Um, one of the things that we have observed, too.
too, just with, with working with ministry teams. Uh, and this, this material is uh, not at all exclusive to, uh, to the MB Circle. We've, we've encountered this in a number of places. But uh, a good team, very generically, will have four kind of stages of development kind of around team unity. Uh, forming, storming, norming, and performing. Okay? And uh, what that means is, you know, forming, that's kind of the everyone's excited and, ooh, everyone's so wonderful and excitement is high and everyone thinks everyone is awesome. Uh, but expectations are unclear. Relationships really haven't been tested. Everything's kind of a bit superficial, just kind of the honeymoon phase. So that's phase one. Phase two, you start to uh, just find out that some people are annoying at times, you know, and you wake up in the morning and it's like, you're going to be here tomorrow, aren't you? <laughs> Not sure I'm excited about that. Uh, you, you and in this time, you're shifting from an individual to team. Uh, everyone is learning, kind of relearning how to interact. Uh, you have areas of conflict around character, gifting, values, habits, authority, vision, cultural differences, finance, communication style, all kinds of different stuff. And so you just there starts to be kind of that grind or kind of that rub. Uh, norming is where you, you've worked through that and, and you're kind of starting to figure out your groove. You, you kind of figure out how to work together as a team. You've, within that, those relationships, you've learned how to resolve conflict. Uh, you've figured out decision making. You've figured out routines and schedule. Uh, communication in, in, improves a lot. And then performing, you know, this is kind of the fun one. The, you know, the team is firing on all eight cylinders. You're seeing progress. You're seeing results. Uh, everyone's well working well. There's high trust um, and character is growing. Um, there's strength to it. Authority structures are understood and respected. Shared vision, uh, very non-judgmental approach. Um, so those are kind of, and you know, good teams will work through those and maybe they just kind of cycle through them on, on a regular basis. Uh, but one of the reasons why I wanted to share this with you was just to reiterate that it is very normal for teams or relationships to have some kind of conflict or tension period, some kind of conflict or, or tension zone, and that healthy teams address it and work through it, and that really the high-performing teams have worked through it thoroughly, okay? So I'm, I'm sharing this to say this is normal, and it's not about whether or not we have conflict. It's about how we deal with it and, and how we work through it. Last thing uh, I want to share, kind of last concept. Um, Patrick Lexicani, I think is how he says it, uh, he's kind of one of today's gurus on, uh, on team unity, working together. I first heard him speak at, at a Willow Creek Leadership Conference. He's very good. Uh, he wrote a, he's written a couple books. One of them, though, that he wrote is called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And just having worked with a lot of teams, primarily in the corporate arena, uh, he figured out, you know, these are kind of the primarily function, dysfunction areas. And then he build it up kind of in a pyramid and say, you know, this is kind of the foundation lay layer. And, and then he kind of built up on that. Um, so kind of that first layer is absence of trust. Um, and then the result of that is invulnerability. And then after that, uh, you have fear of conflict. So then you have artificial harmony. After that, you have lack of commitment or ambiguity. After that, you have avoidance of accountability, so you have low standards. And then sort of the, the peak one is inattention to results, or, and the result is status and ego. Uh, I, I, I'm only going to touch on the bottom two um, just because they're, they're, they're so found, so fantastic. But 
but, but just this understanding of absence of trust. Trust is absolutely foundational to good team unity or good marriage or good relationship or good work environment, whatever. Pick your, pick your team environment. Trust is one of the kind of one of the core foundations. Uh, if you don't trust each other, stuff is not going to happen. Uh, trust covers a lot of territory, but it is also, I think, in some ways to categorize trust, right? Uh, you might trust someone's character. You, tr you trust that they mean well, but you might not trust their competence, meaning you just don't think they could do a job even though they're super sweet about it, right? Um, and, and it can also further be categorized, right? I might trust you to babysit my kids, but I don't trust you to fix my car. Or I might trust you to fix my car, but not babysit my kids, right? I might trust you to do my taxes. I question your MMA skills, right? Um, I might trust you, you know, to be on the governing board, but I really don't think you should be leading worship, okay? Um, so you, you can kind of categorize it that way. So there's within one person, there's a lot of ways that you might trust them, but also uh, not trust them. Um, trust also determines how we respond to criticism and even new ideas. If my wife comes up to me and says, eh, sermon was a bit off, or I have an idea for a new ministry, I'm going to give that a lot of weight because I trust her. But if, you know, Oscar the Grouch, who's tried to get me fired three times, you know, comes up and says, eh, your sermon was a bit off, or I have an idea for a ministry, you know, I'll think bad thoughts and smile and kind of dismiss it, you know, because I don't trust him, okay? Trust determines how we respond to people, how we respond to their ideas, and how we, we respond to their, their, their criticism or, or their, their hard words. Um, and you can see this all over the news, okay, especially within politics, Democrats, Republicans. To what extent is there trust, and then to what extent is there, is there progress, right? Over in Europe, between Greece and, and, and the European Union, not a lot of trust right there happening right now. Um, North Korea and the world, right? No trust there, nothing happening there. Um, one of my mentors once told me, he says, the deeper the trust, the faster the team. So if you want to increase the pace of your team, you deepen the trust. Teams that have shallow trust are slow-moving, laborious teams. Because every time you say something, I'm not really trusting what's going on behind it, and so I have to hash out what's really going on and what did you mean by that and what are you talking about and where did that come from. But if I trust you and you say something, oh, yeah, that's great, let's do that. That works for me, right? The deeper the trust, the faster the team. Uh, and then second one, I, I just want to cover the, the first two, um, but just fear of conflict. I do not enjoy conflict. Uh, I'm getting better at it. Uh, if I am mediating conflict between two people, okay, that's, that's fine. I, I can do that. If I have to go and approach someone because I've been hurt or offended, I hate it. That's uber awkward. It's, I just I can't stand it. Some people love it. God bless you. That's wonderful. You're an anomaly. Uh, some people do love conflict. I'm not one of those. Um, but I've gotten better at it because time and again, I have seen the benefit and the good fruit that's on the far side of that difficult conversation. 
the, the benefits on the farce on the other side of that difficult conversation time and again have shown me that the, that the awkward conversation is worth having. Um, scripture tells us that if we are the offender, we are to go to that person and deal with it. And if we are the offended, we are to go to that person and deal with it. In Matthew 5, 23, uh, if we are the offender, it says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, meaning you've offended him, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Or if we are the offended, Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And then the others, a lack of commitment or, you know, I mean, are, are people committed to this? Uh, avoidance of accountability, inattention to results. Um, you know, have you defined what success looks like? Uh, are, are you, uh, do you know what's important? Have you, do you talk about whether or not the things are happening? So some other good stuff in there too. Uh, covered a lot of ground today. Very practical, very tangible. Uh, not a lot of theological words. There's a lot of stuff in here for you to take home. Hopefully you remember it all. Um, if our hope for this church is that it's still going to be around in 100 years, most of you won't, but if the church is still around in 100 years, some stuff's going to have to happen. We're going to have to pursue people. We're going to have to keep our nose in Scripture. Uh, we're going to have to be culturally relevant. We're going to have to engage in prayer. We're going to have to understand what it means to glorify God, what it means to make disciples. But behind the scenes, we have got to be experts at team unity. This is kind of like the grease that just kind of keeps all the gears moving the way they should be. And when you don't have someone who's standing up for team unity, when you don't have some, or when you when you have a lack of trust, um, it just it it just kind of slows everything down. It, it interferes with that. Our mission is too important to not do it well. God is on a mission to reconcile as many people to himself as he can. To accomplish that mission, he created the church. And so to fulfill that mission, we have got to be doing this team unity thing just really, really well. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Scripture. Uh, thank you for a weekend where we can remember all that we have been given and blessed with in this country. Lord, may we never take that for granted. Um, but God, more importantly, in the Spirit,